It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And don't forget, you can always also follow us on Twitter at bzetechshow. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-hosts Laura Perry and Kay Wenigal. Hi Laura, hi Kay. Hi, Nat. Hi, Nat. And hello, listeners. Today we're talking about Gippsland. Gippsland is a large region in the southeast of Victoria. For decades, brown coal-fired power has been a significant part of the economy of the Latrobe Valley in Gippsland. The closure of the 1,600-megawatt plant at Hazelwood in March heralded change in the valley. There are many opportunities for renewable energy projects in the Latrobe Valley to replace baseload generation and employment following the closure of Hazelwood. Floating solar, wind and hydro projects have all been proposed by experienced engineers in the area. Today we will be talking to Ian Southall about community energy, renewable energy in Gippsland and a transition plan for the Latrobe Valley. Ian has an amazing and varied background with experience in media and more recently as the education officer for the coal-fired power industry in the Latrobe Valley. Six years ago, he left that behind to pursue his passion for renewable energy. Ian now works with three of the dozen or so environmental organisations active in the area. The three he's involved with are the Gippsland Climate Change Network, the Borbore Sustainability Network and the Merbu North Community Energy Hub. He's a very busy man, but he's made time to join us for our show today. Hello, Ian, and welcome to our show. Hello, everyone. Ian, let's launch straight into the the big, exciting stuff that's been going on. You were involved recently with a roundtable at Churchill, which was a, a starting point for a big announcement at the start of June about the Offshore Winds Project proposed for Bass Strait. Can you give us a, an overview about that proposal? Um, yes, I can, and um, it, it's interesting that uh, that appears to be the flagship flagship for uh, renewable energy production in in the Greater Gippsland area. Um, uh, and the and the site that they've chosen or they propose is <clears throat> pretty close to um, the offshore oil and gas rigs, um, and it's proposed that there's going to be something like 200 wind turbines there, producing up to about 2,000 megawatts of power, and they're going to spend the next three to five years in feasibility stage uh, to actually drill down and get get it right. Um, but it's exciting, and because of the wind resource that comes from both Bass Strait, um, sort of gets the top end of the Roaring Forties, if everybody knows about the Roaring Forties, um, there's some really good wind resource in Bass Strait, um, and it comes from both directions. So it's it's quite um, it's quite good actually. Um, someone said to me, who one of, one of the engineers said to me, "Oh, look, we can probably get wind resource for probably eighty to ninety percent of the time." Oh, that's amazing! Know. That's very consistent. Yep. 
So this sounds like a, a really, you know, way out enormous project to stick 200 turbines out in the ocean. Is there, is there precedence for this kind of generation elsewhere in the world? Oh, yes, there is. And if you've only got to go to places like Denmark and Scotland, and you'll know, especially in the North Sea, you'll know that um, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of wind turbines that have been placed out in, in, in water areas, in ocean areas, uh, where there's shallow water, there's connections... And I might say that also Bass Strait has some really good port, especially around uh, Welsh Pool, where you've got the port of Barry Beach, which services the oil and gas uh, rigs. So you've got barges coming in and out of there on a regular basis. So it really does um, uh, give, it, give it a little bit of um, a, a competitive advantage because of that infrastructure that's already there. Um, but around the world, yes, uh, lots of places that are doing this. So how far offshore is it? about 10 to 15 kilometres offshore that they're proposing the zone. Wow, that's incredibly close to shore, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is relatively close. Um, it could be a little bit further than that. It's, it's down towards the tip of Wilson's Prom, and if anybody knows through our listeners that, that Wilson's Prom is probably one of the iconic tourism areas of, of Gippsland and especially of Victoria. Yep. Uh, a lot of people call it the Prom, and for good reason, too. Um, it's a great place to visit. So from, from probably the prime, you may even see the turbines working away. And, of course, on the other east, sorry, the western side of the prom, Bald Hills Wind Farm has been developed and also Tura Wind Farm. So there's, a, there's a, already been a history of, of Tura wind activity along that South Gippsland coast. You raising mention of the National Park, it immediately makes me think of environmental impacts, Ian. What are some of the environmental considerations of sticking 200 turbines out covering an enormous area of the ocean. I guess we think about um, the ocean as just being this mass of water, but there's a lot going on underneath yeah, the surface. Oh, it certainly is, and there's around, around that area there are a number of marine parks and some beautiful areas under, and you've only got to have a look at some of the videos of uh, marine life. Um, even, even the corals and kelp marine parks, uh, some of them are, are protected. Now, I believe it's not going to go anywhere near those, and I should hope it doesn't. And I think that they've got to do... That's why they're spending so much time on the feasibility study. There are fishing grounds there as well, too, because um, you've got close by to places like Port Albert and other areas where there are small fishing fleets that traverse into Bass Strait. So there has to be a pretty exhaustive environmental study, I should imagine. That's, that's reassuring to hear. So and in regard to this, you, you mentioned about using infrastructure that's already in place at Hazelwood and chatting to you in preparation for the show you, you use an expression old energy meets new energy what do you mean by that and what are the synergies there? I think because the switchyard and we know the infrastructure there the lines and the, um, the high transmission lines that run back to Melbourne from the Latrobe Valley uh, no one can not miss them as they drive down the Princess Highway from Melbourne. You can see them there. And, of course, one of those facilities is the Hazelwood Switchyard, which is a large installation. It's already there. It's already been operating, and it could easily take the flow of electrons back from places like offshore and other areas around Gippsland. I know that already Bald Hills is sending a fair amount of that power back through the Hazelwood switchyard anyway. That's what I meant by new energy versus the old energy because we've got some of that infrastructure that should be utilised. I don't believe we should leave stranded assets. And if you're thinking outside the box a little bit, there's always a possibility for use of the old turbines that 
at Hazelwood too. But I'm not an engineer, uh, and we would have to talk to one or two of the ex-engineers that have come on board with us at the Gippsland Climate Change Network to help us through some of those potential projects. I went to a presentation on Monday at the BZD discussion group, and Chris Barfoot was talking yeah. about, and I presume he's one of the ones that you're mentioning there. Absolutely. Chris is a, is a, is a great uh, supporter of what we're trying to achieve. Mm. And he was very excited about the idea of floating solar. It's very interesting. Uh, Gippsland's blessed with a lot of waterways, um, lots of lakes. You know you've got uh, probably the Southern Hemisphere's largest inland waterways in the Gippsland Lakes sitting close by, of course. Um, and there's opportunity there. Um, and one of the interesting things that Chris has, through his studies, has found that if you place some on water, of course, in the middle of summer, you get a ten, possibly a 10 to 15% more efficiency, you know, in, in, in energy generation. In the solar panels' solar performance. Because it keeps them cool. Well, he was actually um, enlightening it to Mildura. He said it would be the equivalent of what you get out of a solar farm in Mildura, except that it's sitting right on the grid there. Yep, and that's got some advantages, and that's why I think there are a number of renewable energy organisations that are actually showing uh, real interest in the Latrobe Valley because the infrastructure, the line infrastructure, the transformer infrastructure is is basically there. They still have to do some work um, because the whole of the net, the network or the or the grid was designed for the electrons to flow out from large central points, i.e. the Latrobe Valley, and of course now we're looking at distributed energy systems. That's what's got to you know to happen but it's going to take a little bit of a while for all of that infrastructure work to be developed mm-hmm. and that's in the that's in the line and the software and all that sort of stuff it's happening probably needs to happen a bit quicker yeah that's right and can you tell us how the cooling would work with these panels i'm i'm not exactly sure um i think one day you should get chris on to actually <laughs> give you a rundown of how he how he observes it or how he how he's engineered how he's engineered it but we, what we would like to be able to do is actually do a small demonstration plant on a, on a body of water and hopefully we might be able to do that at Murba north on on the settling ponds for the um, Gippsland water site and actually demonstrate how it actually works with heating and cooling or the cooling effect of water um, around the floating solar panels you know under the, the panels uh, I understand the, the concept but if I get down to the more nitty-gritty of it, I think perhaps I'd better call on Chris yep. to give you some more information on that. And another advantage of the floating solar panels, apart from the cooling, would be the evaporation. Yeah, and, and look, that's certainly in higher, hotter climates, evaporation is on, on ponds and lakes and things are quite severe. So if it was able to be demonstrated that you could you could use that the, the, the technology of floating solar to um, reduce evaporation that's a good thing I think I know up in the McAllister Irrigation District which is the big dairy farm area just between Terrelgan and Sale they were looking at actually covering the irrigation channels with membrane to actually reduce the, the evaporation but what Chris is suggesting that maybe solar panels could be used as well too mm. Then you get dual purpose from, yeah. from, from one function. I think there's lots of opportunities like that. It's just a matter of the will, I think. Mm. Um, For those of you that have just joined us, we're talking to Ian Southall. Uh, we're discussing many of his projects that he's working on, offshore wind farm um, that's going in the Bass Street, uh, floating solar. Uh, just moving on to 
another group that you're involved with, Ian. Uh, yep. Merboon North Community Energy Hub are endeavouring to set up a community-based energy provider in Merboon North and for the surrounding district. Uh, this project will be the first community 1.4 megawatt solar farm in the Low Trobe Valley uh, and will also be the first of its type on the rural line. Can you tell us a bit about this project? Okay. Some time ago, probably back in 2012, a group of people that I'm friendly with in Merbu North, we decided that we would try and do something around generating our own electricity but also teach people about energy efficiency, making their houses more solar passive. So we, we embarked on, on this project and we got together and we formed ourselves called the Merbu North Community Energy Hub. So who's behind Merbu North, who's behind Merbu North well, Community Energy Hub? Well, being supported by the Merbu North Community Foundation and the Merbu North Bank, which are both organisations that are community-owned. Okay. So that, that, that gives it some really good backing or impetus. Absolutely. Um, and we've been able to get that support with some small grants that have allowed us to go out to the local community, teach energy efficiency, education, and drive efficiency in the area. And if we look, to, we look at the Osnet figures for energy consumption, we've, um, actually the area has dropped by about 12% in, in or, or gains in 12% in efficiency. Well done. It's great. So that's, that's a really good win-win. Um, but one of the... One of the uh, stages of the project was to look at our own gener energy generation system. And when the new energy jobs fund came, became available through the state government, we applied and we were lucky enough to get a body of money to do the feasibility study. This has been a very interesting process. Um, we've engaged five or six consultants to support our process. We've done some wind mapping uh, of two or three sites. We've done... Um, some solar mapping, and we've now got to a point where we've got a letter of, of interest from Gippsland Water from their, a site that's really well positioned to provide um, solar generation, having a, a connection point very closely to the local grid. Although I must say the local grid is restrained somewhat because it's rural line use and because of aluminium transformers, its capacity is restricted and we are, we have to Bear that in mind, so the maximum from that site that we could produce is around 1.4 megawatts of power. But that's still considerable in an offset for the local community. Doesn't Well, that's right. That would be feeding the local community then. We uh, could be, although I believe if um, what will probably happen, and we're in the negotiating stages with Gippsland Water, is that they may take a fair amount of that power in a power purchase agreement. It's under this state government obligations, they have to reduce their carbon footprint and one of the ways they do that is to actually buy renewable energy certificates through a power purchase agreement. Mm. And so other than the obvious um, source of renewable energy, what other outcomes can the Merbu community expect from this project? Um, well, there's a couple of things, I believe. One is, um, is that if we can find... Uh, a small retailer that we can partner with. Uh, there's a possibility for a small retail process that we could develop that up through the foundation and the bank, and that would be good so people could actually buy their power locally. Secondly is that there's, that there's potential for an investment model, and especially in community energy, and some community energy projects, I believe, around Australia, 
a number of them are behind a metre, have created pretty good investment models. Um, and they're sold out when they come on, they become available, are sold out pretty quickly. I know one in Sydney that was sold out within an hour. So mm. there, there is an appet- there, I believe there is an appetite for people to actually invest in, in solar generation. Maybe it's behind the metre, uh, but this project is in front of the metre, so it's a little bit more, more difficult to manage. But we believe that there's an opportunity there for us and we should investigate it. So you're essentially looking to fund it entirely from community investment? We would hope so. Um, it's a $3 million project. And that's a, lot of, that's a lot of ask for a local small community of a couple of thousand people. It is a, uh, it is a large project. I believe it's probably the largest project in the area for quite a considerable amount of time. So it's a, it's a matter of being able to convince the community that they should invest in it. What kind of return on investment um, timeline has well, been planned? Indicatively, we, we're looking at probably somewhere between 6 and 8% return for an individual and local investor. Some of the figures are still a bit fluid at the moment. We've still got to work out the power purchase agreement. So we've got a fair amount of body of work to do. This, is, this type of work is not, e- is not easy and it's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> uh, you've got to be persistent, and you've got to keep working at it. And we, we've got the state government where we've got to provide that body of information to. So we want to be absolutely correct and not over overemphasize the fact that um, there's, a, there's a good opportunity here. Because if we if we gild the lily a little bit, I don't think that that would go down well with our local community. So is local government involved in this initiative at all, Ian? Uh, yes, actually, um, the Murga North, um, the geographically, the geographic area that we're working with around Murga North covers three local government areas in Borbor, Shire, Latrobe City, and also the South Gippsland Shire. And we're getting a lot of support, especially from the South Gippsland Shire um, on our project control group. They are represented and they've provided a lot of backup support for us, which is fantastic. Wonderful. And uh, what, what um, kind of time frame are you, are you looking at for this project? If we can get the feasibility study completed uh, over the next two or three months and get that into the government, I believe that we could actually start to turn the key on the solar farm within six to 12 months. Six to 12. Fantastic. Um, But there's still a fair amount of work to be done in community engagement and getting people to locally invest. Yeah, the the Latrobe community has had to go overcome a, a lot in the last couple of years with close of Hazelwood, etc. What kind of steps did you take to engage the community in the beginning and how ongoing is that? With the closure of Hazelwood, we've got a number of people. Um, I know Chris is helping us with the, with the project, but there are a number of people that live in around the area that have worked at Hazelwood. Now, some of them have moved over to Luoyang Power Station because that's remaining open and that'll remain open for a number of years yet. And they've moved to, to that environment. Some others, have, I believe, are moving to other projects elsewhere in the state and will probably come back home like a fly-in, fly-out arrangement to some degree. So there's been some, some of that. And, of course, in the greater, in La Trobe Valley, especially around Moorwell, there have been a number of people that are still looking for work. Mm. Um, and I believe a lot of these projects that have been auspiced by the state government and the Latrobe Valley Authority, I believe will fill a lot of that gap in energy production and, and the expertise that we have in the area that will allow us to redeploy a number of those people. 
Well, I think uh, the um, number of the projects that Chris was talking about were things like wind turbines, pumped hydro, geothermal, yep. all in that region. So it sounds like it's a quite exciting time. For it, it is Valley. exciting, but we do desperately need one or two projects to start now. And, and that's where even just a small project like Earthworker, which you've probably mm-hmm. heard a little bit about, um, the production of solar hot water uh, and a couple of other things, I, it's just about ready to, to turn the key on starting the factory. They, look, they have got some potential contracts in place to actually underpin their development. So little, jo- little places like that are desperately needed right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the offshore wind, the wind farm, that's a five-year project. So no major, no major employment for at least five, three to five years. And when you think about the fact that Hazelwood's closed down, your lawn's going to close down in the next few years, then yep. Loyang A closes down and then Loyang B, that's all going to happen within five to ten years. So... It's it's critical that these projects get up and running as fast as possible. Yep, as as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, um, your lawn will probably close in the next five to five or so years. Um, I think I believe Loyang will be a bit longer than that. Well, I, it's a new power station, that, isn't it? But yeah, I think it is new, although it's coming to the it, by the time twenty thirty rolls around, it will be starting to get towards the end of its well, the end of its natural life. Yeah. So um, that's some of, some of the considerations. Can I just add that one company that's really lying in the renewable energy industry in Gippsland, and we've got a number of installing companies, Gippsland Solar in the last three or four years have gone from three employees to 28 employees. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really good, and they are underpinning some of their future work on solar farms and up to approximately 20 megawatts. So that's quite, a, that's quite ambitious. Mm. Um, but I know they're very aggressive in the market, but it's just a, a good example of what could happen. And I think Chris was also talking about Earthworker building all the pontoons for the uh, floating solar panels. Yeah, look, if there's that a potential for that. Yeah, that's, a, that's true. There's, there is a potential for that. But at the moment, Earthworker, if the, if the Moreland Energy Foundation project gets up and going, they've got a, they've got a supply... I think it's somewhere between 150 and 200 stainless steel um, tanks. So oh, that'll keep them going. That'll keep them going for quite a period of time. It'll start. It'll really help start kickstart the business. Um, and, and they've got. And we've got also in the Latrobe Valley. We've got the thousand houses, the retrofit program that Latrobe Valley uh, announced. What was that? And, and well, that's uh, that's an energy efficiency program uh, where. Anything from draft proofing to sealing up houses to insulation to applying a, a solar hot water system or a PV system on a house uh, under certain criteria. It's a pilot program for a thousand houses. The, the government have allocated, I think, it's somewhere around five or six million dollars to the project. So there's a lot of organisations that like them the Borbore Sustainability Network and Latrobe Valley Sustainability Network under the auspice of the Gippsland Climate Change Network are working on a model to actually roll out, help roll out that program. So that could underpin a lot of work as well too. I know the housing stock in Gippsland is fairly old. Mm. Probably 80% of it is the 1980s back to 1920s um, and a lot of them were the old um, miners' houses uh, forestry houses and the uh, SEC old houses, 
and a lot of them are really in need of retrofitting. Yeah, it so certainly sounds, it, sounds it like that'll be, be a good project. two or 300 jobs in that, just in that over the next 10 or 15 years. Well, that's very encouraging. And I understand the government, the state government, that is, is very interested in doing whatever it can for that region to support it. Is. it. Absolutely. And all we really do need is, I believe, the federal government to come on board and do a little bit more, especially around renewable energy, and send the signals in the right direction. So, Ian, um, ahead of the Finkel report that's coming out next Friday, in your experience in this area, you've got some sort of observations and suggestions about how AEMO could improve. Can you tell us about that? Ooh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Look, I think the energy market has, and as I know, we, we talk about um, this energy crisis, and I think, I think the energy market needs to have clear signals. We need some sort of emissions trading scheme in the, in the process. We need to be able to um, also um, support low-income um, people, and especially in, in my area of the world, in Gippsland, there are a number of people, what they call under bill stress, so I think it's very important to, to, to understand that, but also with the, the, the market, is to be able to drive technology through the market so that we can actually build lots of distributed energy systems because mm-hmm. the, the energy market is, going to, is changing, um, but we, do, we need a lot of investment in the grid to be able to manage it properly. Yep. I think that's where the authority needs to really step up. That's a good good point to finish off on. Ian, we've just run out of time, so thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us where our listeners can find out a bit more? I think the best thing that they could do uh, for the Merber North project would be to go to um, our website. So Uh, so if they Google Merber North project, they'll find that? Yeah, the Merber North Community Energy Project. Thanks very Um, much, Ian. That that would be good. Fantastic. Maybe North Project. Yeah, and there's a, there's a heap of other projects that are pro- proposed. I oh, know there's one with BZ. Uh, sorry, I'm, unfortunately we've just run out of time, yeah. Ian. Apologies for that. No, that's all right. <clears throat> the Beyond Zero and show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.